Amen. Well, as uh, Dan stated, we are currently in Judges chapter 9. And as we're going through Judges, we've been uh, actually looking at the life of Ambimelech. And in looking at the life of Ambimelech here in Judges chapter 9, we've been talking about just pride and rebellion. And as we've been, as we talked about this last week, as we looked at this last week, you know, we saw a man here that was filled with pride. He was filled with rebellion. And as we examine this, right, we looked at how this actually creeps into the church of God. It creeps into the ministries. It creeps into the people of God. And so as we examine rebellion, today is just a continuation from what we were looking at last week. And, and we're going to really look at rebellion and, and what it brings. And so as we talk about this, this is really the ugly side of Christianity. And it's not the most pleasant topics to talk about. It's not the things that I desire to share with you and to say, you know what, it's a great message today on rebellion. But what is great about it is the things that God is going to teach us about. Okay, he's going to teach us on the subject of rebellion. And we know that as we go through this, right, it's something that the Lord wants us to be aware of. And so before we begin talking about rebellion, I just want to define it. I want to define rebellion. That way we have a good understanding as to what it means. Okay? Rebellion is the act of rejecting. It's the act of resisting. It's the act of rising against authority. So that's what rebellion is. And many times we know that rebellion happens in the homes. It happens in our jobs. And unfortunately, it also happens in the churches, in the churches of God, in the house of God. And as we see the story of Abimelech, as we review the, the rebellion of Abimelech, I want us to be clear on who he rebelled against, okay? Because this is important as we look at this, right? His rebellion was solely against God, okay? And I share this with you because Abimelech, rebelled against the authority of God. And how did he rebel against the authority of God? He rebelled against the authority of God by making himself king. This is what he did, right? He made himself king over the people. And let me remind you, it was God that was to be king over his people, right? This is what he desired. This is why he did not name a successor after Joshua. He didn't Say, okay, Joshua, what I want you to do now is I want you to raise up a leader. He didn't tell Joshua that. He told Moses that, right? And he wanted Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. But after Joshua, there was no leader that was assigned because it was God that was to be their king. God's desire was to lead his people. And in this desire, we see Ambimelech that makes himself king over the people. God never anointed Ambimelech. God never called Ambimelech. He never chose Ambimelech to rule over his people or over the kingdom. But Ambimelech took this upon himself. And what we read last week is how he led a group of men, a group of God's people, God's people to follow him. And basically when they followed him, they rejected God as their king. See, in following Abimelech, they rejected God. And so this is where that rebellion came. The rebellion came really against God and in leading others to follow him instead of following God. And so what happens after rebellion? What is it that takes place after rebellion happens? Things do happen after that, right? Things happen after rebellion. And, and we know that in the victory that rebellious people have, there's always a, a sense of, you know what, is this how it's going to be? You know what, there's this aroma of victory that the rebellious people have. And so this is what God wants us to talk about today. Really just what happens next, right? What is it that's going to happen? And so we know that rebellion will never have success. And so as we look at this, right, and there are people that, that get upset at this, right, because people get upset at the fact that rebellious people sort of walk in this victory, right? 
But never judge a book by its cover because, see, God is still working there. And God is still going to handle rebellion. And so as we look at this, right, as we, as we see what God is going to teach us tonight, we also, before we get into the scriptures, because this, this is actually the longest chapter in Judges. And it's about Abimelech. And as we look at this, right, as we look on the conspiracy and the rebellion of, of Abimelech, I want to share with you rebellion. I want to share with you what God thinks about rebellion. See, because the scriptures give us God's heart towards rebellion, what his thoughts are towards rebellion. And as we covered last week in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, we talked about these seven sins that the Lord hates. And do you remember that seventh sin, what it was? He hates those, the sin of bringing discord amongst the brethren, of bringing rebellion and division amongst the body of God. He also mentions rebellion in a sense here. He describes it as witchcraft. And he mentions this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. He says that, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. When we look at the Hebrew de definition of witchcraft, do you know what this is? It is divination. And divination, so you know, is a practice of magic and sorcery. That is what divination means. It is a practice of magic and sorcery. And whenever anyone practices this, this isn't inspired by God. This is inspired by the devil himself. This is inspired by Satan. And look at what God thinks about witchcraft because he says it's as a sin of witchcraft. And for us to get a sense of what God uh, or for us to get that sense as to how God considers rebellion, we got to look at how he considers witchcraft. And he speaks of witchcraft in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. He says, There shall not be found among you, among you, anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all those who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Those that do these things are an abomination to the Lord. These things are an abomination to the Lord. The Lord hates these things. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. So all this witchcraft, and we see this you know, psychics and, and spiritists and all these know that the Lord hates that. It's, it's not from him. All of this insight that these people get are not from the Lord. But this insight and, this, and, 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 and these things that they receive, they're all from Satan himself. See, they're, they're surrendering themselves to Satan and to his power instead of surrendering themselves to the Lord. And so as the Lord says that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, he's basically telling us that he hates this, right? And for us, we must understand that the Lord hates witchcraft. He hates rebellion. And rebellion, we know, is inspired by Satan, right? As we talked about this, as we, we've shared this with all of you, as we've talked about, as we go through the book of Revelation, and we've talked about how Satan led the rebellion against God. You know, when a third of the angels were cast down to earth as he allowed them to come with him and he basically brought them on board and he convinced them to rebel against God. And we know that this happened before Adam and Eve were created and, and we know that this was the pride of Satan. Satan wanted to be like God. And so we know that Satan is behind every rebellion against God, in the house of God, and against the people of God. Anytime you have rebellion, it is inspired by Satan, by no one else, but it is inspired by Satan because it is a copycat. It is doing as Satan does because, see, he rebelled, right? This was, the, this was his sin. And so as we look at Judges chapter 9, what I'm going to do is... I'm not going to read the whole, I usually 
as you know, read the whole chapter. But because this is such a long chapter, we're going to take up much time reading the whole chapter. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read them in segments. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to expound on every one of them because it could, this chapter can be very confusing because there's different events, different people that are involved here. And then what I'm going to do at the end is I'm going to talk about rebellion and what it brings, okay? And I'm going to show you through the scriptures. So the first ones we're going to read is we're going to once again repeat verses 1 through 6 in order that we understand what's going on between Ambimelech and the people there in Israel. Okay, so let's read verses 1 through 6 in Judges chapter 9. It says, Then Ambimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel reign over you or that one reign over you Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. And they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king besides a terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick summary here, right, just so that we know where we're at with the scriptures. What we have here is really Abimelech, right? He is the son of Gideon. He is the son of Gideon. Gideon had 70 sons, okay, and this is one of them. And he actually had Abimelech with a woman from Shechem. She was his concubine. It wasn't his wife. She was his concubine. And she lived there, and she was from Shechem. And so Abimelech, we know that Gideon said, you know what, me and my sons and I will not be kings over Israel. Let God be your king. But we know one thing, that Gideon lived like a king, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Gideon desired and lived like a king. And so we know that Abimelech, his son, desired really what his dad was living out, to have the kingdom, to have the kingdom in Israel. And so as, uh, as he desires this, right, we know that God never called Abimelech to be king. And so what Abimelech does is he conspires. He conspires and to become king, right? And in his conspiracy to become king, he appeals to the men of Shechem. And what he does is he manipulates him, he convinces them to follow him. And as he does this, right, they go and kill 69, or they attempt to kill 69 of his brothers. Because he tells them, why would you want these Israelites, this, these full-breaded Israelites to rule over you? Even though they weren't going to be kings, right? But he convinces them. He deceives them and manipulates them into thinking that they're going to have these men as kings over them, one of them. So he says, I'm one of you. I'm from Shechem. And so why wouldn't you want me to be king? And so what they do is they go and they kill 68 of the 69 brothers. Imagine this massacre, right, of these men from Shechem and Abimelech that go and kill all of his brothers. And so one of them survives, and his name is Jotham. He's the youngest brother. He's, one, he's the youngest of Gideon. And he's the one that survives. And we know that at the end, after they kill all the 68 brothers that they anoint Gideon as their king, okay? And last week, we talked about five points when it came to rebellion, right? When it came to how it starts and, and how it ends. We talked about the first point was pride. You know, this sin of pride. Understand one thing that 
This is what Abimelech had, right? It, it led him to the rebellion there in Israel. And we know that pride is the root of all sin. Remember that. Pride is the root of all sin. And when we think about pride, right, pride is very dangerous. And why is pride so dangerous? Because it's very subtle. See, you can always identify pride in others. But when it comes to you, you can't see it. We don't see it. We can't see it, right? Because we can easily point it out in others, but we can't identify pride when it's in our own hearts. And so this is why it's so dangerous. And so what happens in, in rebellion is that it starts with pride, right? See, because rebellion cannot exist without pride. And we know that rebellion is led by pride. And as I mentioned last week, the banner over rebellion is pride. And then the second thing I talked about was selfish ambition, right? Selfish ambition. It's all about me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want. And we know that Abimelech, he wanted to be king, and he was going to do whatever it took. It didn't matter if he was going to kill his own brothers. It didn't matter who he was going to get rid of. He was going to walk all over people, and he was going to attain what he wanted to, to, to take. Whatever it took, he was going to achieve his goal. And so we talked about the conspiracy that he had with, with the men of Shechem, right? And we know what a conspiracy is. It's really an evil secret plan to rebel, to rebel against others, against authority. And so then we talked about the rebellion, how they just go out and just, how he just went out and he just acted upon it. And, and he basically, as we talked about, he rejected and resisted and rose against all authority, which was which was the Lord. And then we finished with the fall. Okay, and today we're going to continue with that fall. And so now we'll get into the, the next verses that we didn't go over last week. And so the first ones I'm going to just read to you is really just, I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 7 all the way through 21. So let's read. It says now, when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Garrison. And lifted, it, and, he, and lifted his voice and cried out, and he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I seize my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I seize my new vine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the, brando, the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you had dwelt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham, Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So what we have here, what we have here really is a parable. And I know that many always believe that parables, that parables were were only spoken or invented by Jesus, right? Because 
When Jesus came, he always spoke in parables, right? Not always, but a good majority of his teachings were in, in, in parables. And when we think about parables, what is a parable? A parable is really a story that reveals a truth. Okay, it's a story that reveals a truth or it teaches a lesson. That's what a parable is. A parable reveals a truth or teaches a lesson. That's the simplicity of a parable. So what I'm going to use is I'm going to use images, right? I'm going to use an image. I'm going to use different images. And I'm going to tell you a story about these things. And then I'm going to reveal truth to you. And I'm going to teach you a lesson. And so this parable here by Jotham, the youngest brother, is actually the first parable in the Old Testament. I want you to know that. This is the first parable in the Old Testament. And as we look at this parable, it has much truth. But I want you to know that this is not the only parable in the Old Testament because we know that there are other parables in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the prophet Nathan spoke to King David about Bathsheba? Remember, he used a parable. He used a parable to disclose the sin of King David. And after he disclosed that sin, we know that, that, that David just, you know what? He just admitted and he fell on his knees and he confessed and he asked for the forgiveness of God. And so we know that prophets also spoke in parables like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they spoke in parables. And so we have here the first one that is recorded in the Old Testament. And so what is this parable, right? He's, 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 he gives them a parable. He goes there. He says he goes to Mount Garrison and he lists his voice and cries out. So in other words, he's there where people can hear him. And remember, he's talking to the men at Shechem. And when he's talking to the men at Shechem, he gives this parable. And he brings a parable about trees, okay? Just like the trees that we have next to the church, the trees that are all around us. He says, okay, you know what? There's these trees. And these trees that are out there, they want a king, okay? These trees want a king, and in their desire to have a king, they go out asking the various trees to rule over them. The first tree they approach, as we read there, is the olive tree. And the olive tree, they go to the olive tree and they say, Mr. Olive Tree, can you be king over us? And the olive tree tells them, no. You know what? I've been called to produce oil, which, which they honor God and man. And to sway over trees. So I have not been called to be king. So I reject your invitation. So the trees go to another tree. And this time they go to the fig tree. And they ask him the same thing. Mr. Fig tree, can you be king over us? And of course, the fig tree says, no. I have not been called to be king over you. And so they go to the vine. And this time they go to a vine, right? And they ask the vine, the vine, can you be king over us? And, of course, the vine also says, no, I'm not going to reign over you. You know what? I, I have been called to produce new wine, which cheers both God and man, and to sway over trees, so I'm not going to be a king over you. I haven't been called to be king. And then it finishes off as Jotham speaks. He says, but they went to the bramble. You know what a bramble is? A bramble is a thorn bush. They go to a thorn bush. This is how low the people get, right? They just want a king. No matter who it is, they want a king. And so they go to the thorn, uh, to the thorn bush, right, the bramble. And guess what the bramble does? He agrees to be their king. But he gives them a requirement. He says, the only way that I'll be your king is if you take shelter under my shade. And if you don't, then fire will come and devour you. This was his parable. So what does the parable mean? See, the trees represented Israel. That's who the trees represented. The trees that were going out and asking for a king. See, God was supposed to be their king. And we know that the anointed, the, those that were judges and those that were called by God, they were always saying, you know what? No, we're not going to be your king. We haven't been called to be king because God is your king. So they go to this bramble, and this is Abimelech. 
And of course, Abimelech is this thorn bush, and Abimelech agrees to be their king. And so this is what Jotham explains to them now. He tells them, men of Shechem, you guys killed my brothers. This is what he explains beginning in verse 16. You killed my brothers, 68 of my brothers you killed, and you anointed my other brother, King Abimelech, as your king. And he tells them that if you did this justly, then what you can all do is you can all rejoice together. But if you didn't do this justly, if it wasn't the right thing to do, then fire will devour Abimelech as well as you men of Shechem. And what's going to happen is that fire is going to come from Abimelech and fire is going to come from you. And you guys will devour one another. This is what he explained there from verse 16 all the way through verse 21. And we know that at the end of this verse, what does he do? He flees. He runs. Why is it that he flees? For fear of his brother, right? And one thing that we're going to see at the end of this, his parable comes to pass. So let's keep reading, beginning in verse 22. We're going to read to verse 25, and then I'll explain it to you. It says, After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. So what we have here is just a quick history. Abimelech reigns for three years. And what the scriptures tell us is that God sends an evil spirit. He sends a spirit of ill will. This is a a, a, a demonic evil spirit that he sends. And he sends this demonic spirit because remember, everything has to pass by God. Remember when Satan was there before Job, I'm, I'm sorry, before the Lord, and he was talking to the Lord about Job. And, jo- and the Lord gave him permission to go down and to afflict Job and his family, right? And the same thing it is here with this demon. He sends this demon to create problems, trouble between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And as soon as this demon is sent, we immediately have the men of Shechem rebelling against King Abimelech. How do they rebel against King Abimelech? They begin to rob the travelers that pass by Shechem. Okay? So what does this mean? How is this rebellion against King Abimelech? See, whenever anyone would travel through Shechem, they would have to pay a tariff. They would have to pay taxes to the king. And so what they were doing is they were robbing them of this, right, so that people wouldn't go through there. So immediately, this is a rebellion against now King Abimelech. Remember that evil spirit that was sent? He was sent to create problems and trouble between the two. So immediately, he does this. He creates a problem, and they rebel against King Abimelech. And the other thing that it creates is that if word gets out, that means that this new king, this new king of Israel can't control his own people. So we know that this is a bad rap for the new king. So this is what happens after this in verse 26. It says, Now Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not Zebo his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, 
But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come up. Okay? Let me explain what's going on here. We have this man named Gael. And what he does is he's part of the town of Shechem, right? But he comes into, into this place and he begins to share with them. And the men begin to put their trust and confidence in Gael. And they begin, remember these men, this, Ill, this spirit of ill will, right, created already trouble and problems. And they already went out there to, to rob the people of their money. So they were already rebelling against the king. So this guy named Gael comes in, right? And this guy named Gael that comes in, he, they begin to trust him. They begin to put their confidence in him. And so what they end up doing is they end up partying together, right? And they get drunk. And Gael reminds him in verse 28 that Abimelech is only a half-breed. Why do you want to follow a half-breed? He's half-Israeli and he's half-Shechem from the Shechemite woman, from the concubine. So why do you want to follow a half-breed instead of following a full Shechemite, right? And I'm a full Shechemite. I'm a descendant of this What's his name? Of Hamar, the Shechemite. See, Hamar is the father of the Shechemites. Hamar is the descendant. He's the one that started this people. And so, Gael is from the line of Shechem, from the line of Hamar. So, in other words, what he's saying is, follow me. Why do you want to follow a half-breed? But let's remember what Abimelech said before, right? Didn't he use the same thing? When he told the men of Shechem, why do you guys want to follow the other sons of Gideon who aren't part Shechem? I'm a half-breed. I'm at least part of you guys, so you guys should follow me. And now you have Hamar saying, why do you want to follow a half-breed? You guys should follow a full-breed, right? And so that's what you have here. And so Gael brings their confidence and their trust in him. And then at the end here in verse 29, he throws out a challenge to Abimelech. And he says, Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Right? He's all drunk. They're all, you know what? They've all been plastered. They were partying. And so he throws out this challenge to come out. And so let's keep reading beginning in verse 30. It says here in verse 30, it says, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed. His anger was aroused, and he sent messengers to Abimelech, secretly saying, Take note, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So what we have here is Zebo is the governor of Shechem. And Zebo is very loyal to Abimelech. He's like his representative there in Shechem because, see, Abimelech didn't take up his residence in Shechem. He was living outside of town And so he had an assigned representative, this governor that he had here. And what this governor does is he sends word to his loyal ruler, right? His loyal, his his king. He's loyal to the king. And he tells Abimelech, guess what, Abimelech? You have this crazy guy named Gael that's come into town. And he's having now a conspiracy coming against you. He's talking to the men to come and to come against you. And they're brewing a revolt against you. And he tells them, he tells Abimelech, you better get ready to fight. What I want you to do is you better get ready immediately. Get your men into the fields. And in the morning, I want you to ambush the city and destroy Gael and the men that are now following him. Okay, so this is what's happening. So then we get to verse 34. It says, so Abimelech. And all people who were with him rose by night and lay in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gael the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, 
Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. So then Zebul said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now, with which you said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So Abimelech, basically he hears the words of Zebul and he follows his words, right? He follows the words, the advice of his loyal governor. And so Abimelech, what he does is he goes out to the field and he separates all of his men in four companies. And I want to remind you of this because remember, Gideon is his father. Gideon is the father of Abimelech. And do you remember when Gideon fought against the 135,000 Amalekites and Midianites? Did not he divide the men into three companies? So you have here Abimelech following the example of his dad, right? And so what he does is he divides the men into four companies. And so he lies there in wait overnight. And then Gale wakes up in the morning, right, with a hangover and all. And he's overlooking the fields. And he sees, he says, hey, guess what? There's these men that are coming down. He's telling this to Zebul, right, the, the governor. And the governor tells him, hey, buddy, you're, you're, not, you're seeing things. There's nobody out there. Those are just shadows of trees, right? Those are shadows of men. But we know that, uh, uh, that, that Gale, that Gale, as it says there, that he looks again, right? And he, you know what, he's looking closely and he says, no, they're men. And he sees them covering coming from the, from the hills. He co he, they're coming there from the fields. They're coming from the hills. And, and he says, and he also spots a diviner's tree, right, which is where witchcraft was practiced. And then now Zebo tells him, you know what, he sees him. So what Zebo tells him is he says, okay, remember what you said last night? You said, Ambimelech, who are you? Come out and fight. And so Zebo basically tells him, okay, you know what? Remember that challenge that you threw out last night? Now it's time to put it into action. Now it's time to go out and fight. Put your action, put your threats into action. And so then this is what happens in verse 39. It says, so Gale goes out, right? I mean, he has to go out. He threw out the challenge and he sees Abimelech coming. So there, he has no other choice. So he goes out, leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from him, and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah, and Zebo drove out Gael and his brothers, so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city. And the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city. And he sold it with salt. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berith. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with, uh, and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bowl from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, and set the stronghold on fire above them. 
so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Okay? What we have here, what we have here is really three battles that are going on. The first battle that we have is when Gael goes out with the, with the men of Shechem that were with him to go out and fight Abimelech. And he kills them all. And then it says here on verse 42, and the next day, this is a second battle. That the rest of the men of Shechem, right? Because not all the men went out with Gael. So the men stood back in Shechem. That they now are going to fight against Abimelech. And Abimelech this time divides his men into three companies. And so this time he goes into the city and he kills the men of Shechem. And some of the men come out, right? And they're, Because he has three companies and some are fighting and, and then the others are going into the city. And so he kills all the people there of Shechem. Okay, And then he throws salt. Remember, assault was a symbol after a battle of complete desolation. It was a symbol that this city is condemned, that no one's going to inhabit this city anymore after I conquered it. And so we now have the third battle. And this third battle was beginning here in verse 46. In verse 46, you have this third battle. What happens here is that you have the leaders of Shechem. Remember, you have the army and now you have leaders, right? They destroyed the army and now you have the leaders there, the men of the tower of Shechem, the men, the leaders of the tower, the leaders of Shechem. And what they do is they go into the temple, the temple of this god Baal Barith, okay? And they're thinking that, you know what, that because we're going in there, remember, and this is the same, uh, the same god that they gave Abimelech silver shekels from. Remember, they gave, these were shekels that belonged to Baal Barith. And they go in there thinking that if we go in there, it's a, that Abimelech won't come against us because we helped them, right? But Abimelech, he doesn't care anymore, right? He's saying, I'm going to get rid of all these people that rebelled against me, including the leaders. And so what he does is he gets, as it says there, he gets these bow, and a bow is basically branches, so he gets branches, and he gets branches from the trees, and he throws the branches and burns down the temple with the branches. And it tells us that a thousand men and women died. Okay? This is how ugly it gets. And then verse 50 begins now a fourth battle. And let's read this, this battle. It says, Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near. The door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young men, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. So what you have here, right? Abimelech leaves Shechem, and he goes to Thebes. And I am sure that some of these men from Thebes conspired with the men of Shechem to come against Abimelech. And so what he does is he goes to their city. And he goes to the city and he captures it, right? And the men and the women, they flee to the tower. And he wants to do the same thing, right? As he burned the temple in Shechem, he wants to burn this tower down. And so he gets a little too close. He makes a mistake here. And he gets too close to the tower. And there's a woman on top. And what she does is she drops a millstone. And it falls on the head of Abimelech, and it crushes his skull, but he's still alive. And so what Abimelech says is that, you know what? I don't want to die. You know, he must have saw the woman that dropped it, right? And he says, I don't want to die in the hand of a woman. Remember, for, for these men, they wanted to die in honor. They wanted to die in battle. And so he says to his armor bearer, you know what? Thrust and kill me with your sword. And so that's what he does. 
just like King Saul. Remember when King Saul with the Philistines? He asked his armor bearer also to kill him because he didn't want to die in the hands of the Philistines. For them, for the kings, it was a, an honor to die in battle. And here he tells his armor bearer, kill me. Kill me so I don't die in the hands of this woman. And then we're going to finish here with verse 56. It says, Does God repay the wickedness of Abimelech with which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers and all the evil of the men of Shechem? God returned on their own heads and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. Basically, what we have here is a parable came true. God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech and the wickedness of Shechem. He killed them both. The end of rebellion stops here. Okay? So now we're going to go over seven points, okay? And they're going to be quick points. These seven points that I'm going to talk about is really what God wants to teach us about rebellion. And this is the insight that we get from the Word of God. Not insight that you get from me. It's insight that you get from the Word of God to learn about rebellion. I want you to know that after we go over these seven points, you will see that it does not pay to rebel against God or against the people of God. And the first thing that I want to share with you is that before any rebellion starts, you will all, God will always send a messenger. Okay? That's the first point. God will send a messenger to warn you about rebellion. Okay? This is what you have here from Jotham, beginning in verse 7. Jotham was called to speak to the men in Shechem about rebellion. I want you to know this. Anytime anyone is conspiring rebellion against people, God always sends a messenger to tell them, you guys are wrong. You guys gotta, you got it wrong. You guys shouldn't be doing this. You know what? You shouldn't follow the lead. You shouldn't be a part of this rebellion. God always sends messengers. This is what he does. He wants to give everybody ample warning to confess and to stop the rebellion. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. People have come up to me after people have, have rebelled and they said, you know what? I gave them a warning that they shouldn't go, that they shouldn't be a part of this rebellion. But people don't listen, right? Just like the men of Shechem that don't listen. You know, I'm going to share this with you. I remember, I remember there was a time when I rebelled against the wishes of my pastor and I remember that the Lord had sent me somebody, and he says, you know what? I think you're wrong, Tony. I don't think you should be doing this. And I said, yeah, you know what? No, I know what I'm doing. You know, I was, I was stuck on my rebellious heart. And I remember the warning. And I remember he telling me, and I remember not listening to his warning. And it was a heavy price that I paid. And it was that same man that came to me to warn me, was the same man that came to me to tell me, go and make it right after I had rebelled. See, this is the mercy of God. God doesn't want any of us involved in rebellion. And God will use men and women to speak to anybody that is involved in this type of activity. The second point that I want to teach you here is that rebellion does not last forever. If you look here in verse 22, it says, After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God allowed it to happen for three years. Okay? Rebellions don't last. Remember I mentioned before how, you know what, when, somebody, when a group of people rebel or they rebel against a pastor or the leaders or people or whoever they rebel against, it may sound like it's successful for a, a short period of time. Eventually, God doesn't allow it to continue. He can't. He won't allow it to continue on. See, God 
cannot allow rebellion to last forever. The third point that I want to give you is from verse 23. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. I'm going to share this with you, and this is the ugly side of rebellion. When rebellion occurs, we open the doors for the enemy to work. Did you know that your protective covering is gone? I've seen this happen. I've seen this firsthand. And I'm going to share the a truth in this, is that when people were involved with rebellion, that they had a demonic spirit that was constantly oppressing these people. This happens. This is the truth of God. These are the lessons that God is showing us through the scriptures. That there is, that God says, you know what, you wanted to listen to the devil in this rebellion, so guess what? I'm going to allow this demon to oppress you, to torture you, to bring trouble, to have you come to your knees and to repent of this activity. See, rebellion opens a door for the enemy to work. And this is ugly because I don't know if you've ever seen people that are either possessed or tormented by demons. I have. There's never a peace. They're in torture, constantly tortured, and they want to be set free. And this is what happens. These are the doors that we open when we cause rebellion. The next point that I want to teach you on is that those that conspire with you will come against you. Look at what it says in verse 24. It says that the crime done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might be, I'm sorry, in verse 23 it goes on to say, and the men of Shechem, I'm sorry, that God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. In other words, what happens in rebellion those that create the rebellion, those that are involved in the rebellion, they end up fighting against one another. This is what's so funny. Because they were so united in the rebellion, and they end up coming against one another. And this is what happens whenever there's rebellion. I'll tell you this. Whenever a rebellion starts or whenever it, it, it occurs, all those that join together, they end up not staying together. Why? Because they come against one another. And this is what God creates, right? He's not going to allow them to succeed. And as we see this, right, I want to share this with you. This next point is the fact, point number five, is the fact that you will reap what you sow. God will bring someone to rebel against you, okay? Just like Gail was brought, remember Gail, verse 26 and verse 29, Gail was brought in to rebel against Abimelech. You will have someone, like as, if you're the leader of this rebellion, somebody will rebel against you. God will send a leader to, to rebel against you. And this is what we see here, right? We see the fact that, that Gael was sent in to rebel against Abimelech. There's never going to be peace in your rebellion. There was constant war going on, right? When God said, that's enough, there was constant war. There was never peace amongst these people. And I'm going to uh, give you verse uh, point number six. And this is the sad thing about all of this, and we see this in verse 49. It says, so that the people of the Tower of Shechem died about a thousand men and women. I want to share this with you. Whenever there's rebellion, people get hurt. People get hurt. Innocent lives are thrown into all of this. You have the kids 
of the rebellious people. You have their protective covering that's also taken out because of what they have caused the rebellious people. Innocent people are affected by all of this. And this is what the sad thing about, about, about all of this, right? They're affected and, and many of them are, you know what, because of, of, their, of the sins of their parents, they're affected by it. Not that, not that they can't escape from it because many of them can, but I'm just saying because of all the hardship that comes upon those that, that created it, it just, it's just falls upon the families and it falls upon the innocent children and they become a part of the receiving end of the sins of, of those that created the rebellion. And then the last point that I want to give you is from verse 56. Is the fact that God never lets rebellion succeed. He repaid the wickedness of Abimelech and the wickedness of the men of Shechem. I'm going to share this with you. And this is a very difficult one for all of us. See, whenever people rebel against us, we are not to repay evil with evil. Okay? I want you to understand this. See, God tells us in his word that you and I never repay evil with evil. We don't wish ill will for them. Okay? But we know one thing is that God will have his vengeance, whatever it is, and we leave them to the Lord, right? Look at what it says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then it goes on to verse 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when people rebel against us, yes, it's hurtful. Yes, we've been betrayed. Yes, you know what, it, it brings damage into us and, and they leave a mess in our lives. But it's not for us to come back and to get back at them. The Lord tells us today, vengeance is his. You know, as much as depends on us, we live peaceably and leave the rest for the Lord. See, rebellion is an ugly thing. And I want you to know firsthand that Rebellion, it does bring hurt. And it does affect us and people. You know, for those of you that had kids rebel against you or individuals have rebelled against you at your jobs or maybe here at the church as leaders, and it's not easy. It's a hurtful thing. But again, we just see what happens, right? You know, what let us... No matter what, be merciful. You know, as we see the scriptures, just let the Lord deal with them. Continue to pray for them. Continue to extend your hand to them because you see what's going to happen. You know, we see the, the things that God does to these rebellious people, whoever they may be. And as we see this rebellion going on in the house of God, God knows how to deal with them. And so I just want to share this with all of you, that when we look at the scriptures here, that when we see the scriptures and we see, you know, the fact that God is in complete control of all things, know that he allows these things to happen for a reason. And all he wants us to do is to put, place our trust in him, to keep our eyes in him, on him, that no matter what's going on around us, we focus on the Lord and allow the Lord just to be God and to do great and mighty things and to make things or to allow him to make beauty out of ashes for what the enemy intended for evil, the Lord will always turn to good. And with that, we will close. Lord, I just want to thank you just for the things that you've shared with us today.
Lord, we know that this is the ugly side of, of Christianity because we know that it is inspired by the devil. And as he inspires people to rebel against others, we know that rebellion comes from him. And we know that anytime there's division within the body, within families, within our workplaces, wherever it is, we know that the enemy is behind it. As we see the consequences and what happens to rebellious people, may none of us ever participate in it. This is the lesson for all of us today as I close in prayer, that none of us would ever want to participate in any type of rebellion. For as we see this occurring, as we see the consequences, as we see Abimelech, who was your very own, who rebelled against you, against the authority, your authority. Lord, we don't want to taste the things that Abimelech tasted. Remind us always to be faithful, true, and loyal to you and to the leaders that are above us and over us. Lord, we just want to thank you for your glorious word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think we need uh, Tony. I don't know where, uh, where Tony is at. I'm sure he's going to close us in a, in a final song of, of worship.